Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Don't you just love being a mom? Well, I have to be honest. Well, to be honest, we may have lied a bit on our application. <laughs> it's the best job I've ever had. She lied. And the book says we may be through with the past, but the past is not through with us. I'm Cita Gazdavi at Cita Now on all social media. Joining me is Justin Williams at Justin Williams Comedy. Justin, how are you? I'm good, Cena. I'm just happy to be back here with you. I'm happy to be covering these fraudsters. And I'm happy to be in the service of the Lord. <laughs> That's it. Amen. Amen. Uh, fraudstersLPN at gmail.com at fraudstersLPN on social media. 412-285-1255. That's not my phone number. That is our community text line. And if you go to our social media page or my social media page, you'll see a link in our bio to join our Discord. Our Discord is popping off. It's really fun. We've got a pets channel. We've got chat about the seasons. It's really fun. Uh, I've been really enjoying yeah, it. Yeah, it's wild in there. Yeah, it's getting nuts. Um, but, you know, I have to say, Justin, you know, the past few months, uh, in addition to just being a father – uh, a producer trying to run a, a production company, a director, a host, uh, a comedian, all these things. It's its very complicated. And I, I just got through a huge, huge project um, and it took a lot of time. So as we get ready for our next kind of slew of deep dives here, we realized that we have a little bit of meat left on the old Rick Singer bone. And we thought we would cover it because a lot of people kept asking us, like, why didn't you do the Full House Lady and the Felicity Huffman? I keep saying Full House Lady and I feel bad, but it's Lori Laughlin. She does have a name. She's not identified as just the show that she no, was on. It's, but it's okay. You know, yeah, you go to prison, you, you get, you get, you know. You get defined by your the last show that you were on. So mainly we're going to be talking about them, yes, because they are the famous ones. But my hope is that we can figure out maybe what led them to make the decisions they did. And their experiences with Singer actually provide interesting case studies for us to look at. All right, Felicity Huffman's got a Golden Globe and an Emmy, so let's start with her. She was born in Bedford, New York, which is in Westchester, and she was the youngest of eight Children, that's so Catholic. I don't know, Justin, eight siblings? How many siblings do you have? Uh, Two. 
I, well, you thought about that for a while. Yeah, too. <laughs> I was trying to still wrap my mind around eight. I think that's cruel to do to a woman. I, anytime I see like a woman with like eight kids with her, I'd always, I always point at the guy and I go, you leave her alone. <laughs> that's so chivalrous of you, Justin. Her father's name was Moore Peters Huffman, a Yale grad, former Naval Reserve captain. And he's actually a former partner at Morgan Stanley from 1956 to 69. Her mother, Grace Valley, divorced the husband when Felicity was young, and Felicity ended up spending most of her childhood with her siblings and her mom in Snowmass, Colorado. Okay, so here's another little interesting tidbit. Every fraudster in their childhoods has something that we can attach onto that gives us a little sense of what happened. As a teen, she learned that her father wasn't actually more Peters, but rather a family friend with whom her mother had an affair with. Let's listen to a clip. I found out when I was about 13 or 14 that the guy who was my dad Mm -hmm. was not my biological dad. Mm -hmm. And um, that had been sort of a a somewhat well-kept secret. So your mother sat you down to tell you? My mother was in the bathtub Mm -hmm. smoking a cigarette. I remember it very well. And she had her washcloth and she was doing this with the washcloth. And I was... I went from a 4.0 to a 2.6 in high school. Wow. And um, she said, uh, you know, Flick, I, I, I think there's a lie that might be, that might be uh, interfering in your life. And I said, what is it? And she said, Roger Marr is your father. Hmm. And I sort of didn't know what to say. I just sat there and took it in. That is a very traumatic and terrible thing, but I just want to say the mom was kind of gangster as hell, like... <laughs> like, come in and watch me take a bath and I'm just smoking a cigarette and I'm like and she's just like look kid you're messing up in school because you you need to know that yeah who your real dad is and I'm just gonna lay this on you you know and I'm sure now that you know this your life will be way easier now that you have this 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 traumatic truth that we've been lying to you for this many years and you won't ever have to you know deal with this later on and like confess it to Henry Louis Gates Harvard professor and expert <laughs> on genealogy in the public eye. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was Henry Louis Gates, which, by the way, Michael K. Williams was also on that episode as well. Uh, R.I.P. So weird. I was, I was just, I was just cool to see Henry Louis Gates has made it now to where he's doing white people's genealogy. Usually he's like, <laughs> John Cheadle, your great, great, great grandfather was the first African to <laughs> land in Virginia. <laughs> he didn't buy a ticket for that boat ride? Okay. <laughs> So that's a little nugget of Felicity's childhood that informed potentially her work later in life and her as a person for sure, right? I remember last week when we talked to Ariane Moyad, we talked about the human condition being a messy one and the characters that he enjoyed were, were messy. Felicity's characters that she also played, the ones that she was especially known for, were also messy. They were conflicted. They were flawed. But the biggest ones, the most popular ones, were of devoted mothers. All right. So what was Huffman's acting career like? It's the 80s, and Huffman starts her career like a lot of other actors do, on stage and in classes. But she wasn't just taking the level zero improv. She was taking real classes. She actually ended up meeting and marrying William H. Macy, 12 years old, her senior. Okay, love is just a number. And in the 80s, both of them started to work on productions, both on stage and on screen, with David Mamet. If you know him, he's a playwright, he's a director, he's a writer, he's incredible, but he's not actually known for his female characters, according to Hazel's friend, so we take that. We're a research-based podcast, folks. Uh, but imagine your 
taking classes, you're coming up with these incredibly talented people. Huffman's first big role was actually the short-lived but very popular Aaron Sorkin show, Sports Night, gotta love it, where she actually won her first Golden Globe for Best Actress in a TV show. Justin, you ever you ever watch Sports Night? No, I didn't watch Sports Night. I was watching, during the time, the real-life drama of Monday Night Football when they decided to put Rush Limbaugh on oh, set. And then, yes. surprise, surprise, he made a racist comment like two episodes in. Yeah, didn't they just put like uh, Dennis Miller right after that or something? They put like a different conservative guy on there? Yeah, but Dennis wasn't, I don't think, you know, Dennis... You know, Dennis wasn't like overtly political then. It just, he was just like way too smart for the Monday yeah. Night Football audience, you know? So it's just like. Esoteric should not be a trait of a Monday Night Football announcer. It just should not, <laughs> should not be. Jerome Bettis is crashing through like the waves of lava from Pompeii. <laughs> and I mean, the Detroit Lions. I mean, these people are as lost as the city of Atlantis. I mean, they, they have no idea where they're going. I mean, even the Challenger space shuttle has a better course than the Detroit Lions this season. Yeah. Like, like what? We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to our studio where we have a special guest with us today, Toucan Sam from Fruit Loops. Toucan Sam, welcome. It's my pleasure to be here. Oh, and um, it's Fruit Loops, just so you know. Uh, fruit? Fruit. Yeah, fruit. No, it's Fruit Loops. The same way you say studio. That's not how we say it. Fruit Loops, find the loopy side. Welcome back, everybody. You know, Felicity's career really actually took off after Desperate Housewives on ABC. Now, um, big admission here, folks. I know you're all going to be surprised by this, but I've never actually watched Desperate Housewives. But rest not, we've got the research so I can tell you all about it. Four women live at this, like, suburban enclave called Wisteria Lane. They've all got their domestic problems, right? Then a friend named Mary Alice mysteriously commits suicide. Oh, my God. So the show starts off as a satire of suburban life, but over the seasons, it kind of loses its charm and favor of kind of more of a cheap, dramatic twists and thrills and stuff. And it actually kicked off a lot of similar soapy evening dramas like Scandal and Nashville. And, of course, you probably guessed it by now, the Real Housewives. When you give me an action, you get a mother invitation. And until then, go over and stand in the vasectomy line. That show is the Amazon of reality shows. Huffman's character, Lynette, was a corporate lawyer that turned stay-at-home mom for her four kids. License and registration, please. Ma'am, you know why I pulled you over? Yeah. I have a theory. Kids are jumping up and down. They should be sitting, wearing their seatbelts. I yelled at them. They never listen to me. It's very frustrating. We're going to have to find a way to control them. After all, that's your job. 
Though he'd been a policeman for six years, Officer Hayes had never found himself in a truly dangerous situation. Then again, he had never before told a woman how to raise her children. You saying I'm a bad mother? Ma'am, you need to get back in your car, please. I have no help. My husband's always away on business. I'm going to have to ask you to step back now. My babysitter joined the witness relocation program. I haven't slept through the night in six years. And for you to stand there and judge me. Hand of the gun. Hand of the gun. Okay. I'm not going to give you a ticket. I'm just going to let you off. Oh, my God. I accept your apology. Haze her. Shoot her. Shoot her. Buckle up. Shoot the kids. Yeah. Well, <laughs> shoot the kids. I wonder what demographics really responded to the show. Hmm. 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 I want to meet a desperate housewife. I would have liked that. Before I got married, I wish I would have known some desperate housewives. Yeah. So I could just show them some appreciation, a little tenderness. Oh, my God. What is this? This is getting creepy now. What? <laughs> Are you milf hunting? Is that what you just Is that what you're just doing? <laughs> is that what you're doing right now? <laughs> you know, they all look like even Longoria, too. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah like. Exactly. All moms look like that. Um, but I think this is relevant to an extent because of the entirety of this show, which ran from 2004 to 2012. Huffman was inhabiting an overburdened mom who was just trying to do the best she could for her children. Something she often says she identifies with in interviews. Now, mind you, actors don't always identify with their characters, but sometimes that does feed into who they are as people, and it's a reflection of them. Let's go to a clip. So you're juggling the kids. Yeah. Well, I don't have four. My character has four under the age of six, right? Like... um, And her husband's way on business, and she has no help. I have two, and my husband's home right now, and I have help. But I, I find I'm pushed to the brink many times during the day. So, yeah, yeah. I understand the uh, insanity. Okay. Everyone's going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Huffman won a Golden Globe for and was nominated for an Oscar for Best Actress in another movie that dealt with motherhood, Trans America. The 2006 drama features a trans woman who is reunited with her long-lost 17-year-old son, on a road trip. Felicity Huffman plays Bree, a man desperate to become a woman. After my operation, not even a gynecologist will be able to detect anything out of the ordinary about my body. I will be a woman. One week before her sex change operation, Bree discovers that years earlier, she fathered a son. This movie is aging a lot better than the ending of Ace Ventura Pet Detective. <laughs> So Huffman's career was largely defined by playing the role of the well-intended mother. Huh. Art imitating life or life imitating art? Fast forward to March of 2019 and Felicity Huffman is arrested for what her defense attorney would later say, doing just that. This is an interesting case in the, in the college admission scandal, not only because of her celebrity status, but because it's one of the few cases where only one spouse was indicted and the only case where only one spouse was even named, which our producer Hazel thought was ironic since this seemed to be the first time since their marriage that she's been perceived as independent from her husband. When you're married to a guy like William H. Macy, a lot of it is going to be about, frankly, him. Your husband is William Macy, William H. Macy. We'll talk about him later. Okay. He's been a guest here, and he's a great guy. Yeah. I love him. Do, do, do people know when you say Bill who you're talking about? 
Um, Bill is my husband, mm -hmm. but William H. Macy. That's right. And he... Uh, and a good carpenter. He's a great carpenter. And also a master woodworker because look oh, at this. Do you recognize that? He, yes. he brought this to me. This is uh, something that Bill made, uh, turned on a lathe. This is uh, Vermont uh, spotted maple. I love your husband. I he do is too. One, uh, no. <laughs> he is a phenomenal actor. He's he just, is. He is, isn't he? He's the real deal. He is the real deal. And of course, I've talked to your husband many times. I know. William H. Macy. Yes, he's been brave are. enough to talk to you. I have not, but here I am. Felicity's husband, who I think is one of the finest uh, actors. Love him and love him in anything. It doesn't matter what it is. That's annoying. That's so annoying. <laughs> it's like I know I get it when there's two famous people, but you know they don't ask Jay Z about like Beyonce like every time he does an interview. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I mean Felicity Huffman. They're both like incredible actors, at, especially at that time. You know, it's like I don't understand. I think maybe William H Macy's movies maybe were more famous. I guess I'm not sure. I think, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, there's definitely like sort of sexist element, right? They can't sort of untether, you know, you know, her individual achievements. But then William H. Macy is also one of those actors. It's like a great actor that you don't appreciate. Like if you ask somebody who are your fa 10 favorite actors, oh, nobody no says William, William H. H. No one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nobody says William H. Macy. But if you go... William H. Macy, everyone's like, oh, I've actually loved him in every single thing he's done. So everybody's going overboard to make sure that they're like publicly appreciating him. But you don't realize that if it's every interview, it's like kind of like overshadowing her. Yeah. But we'll talk about, I mean, look at us doing it now. I mean, we'll talk about William H. Macy more later. Uh, but first, let's get to the scam itself, right? So the Huffmans ended up giving Rick Singer or the Key Worldwide Foundation $15,000 to have Mark Rydell, we remember him, right? The smart guy that changed people's grades, that was, thought he was doing the right thing, I guess. And he was hired to change their eldest daughter, Sophia's, SAT scores. Her inflated score, okay, was 1420, up 400 points from the first time she took it, or rather, the only time she took it. <laughs> Sophia, like many young thespians, wanted to go to school for acting. She wanted to go to school for theater, okay? But her parents were nervous. The application process was tough, and her performing arts high school only offered one college counselor for 300 students. I'm sorry, but it's like, you are at a performing arts high school. They, sh they don't You don't need college counselors. You need casting directors. Yeah. You need monologue coaches. You need voice training. What are we talking about here? Who has ever asked Keanu Reeves to do the derivative of a calculus equation? Zero fucking people. <laughs> Rick Sayer came, recommended to them, and he began counseling both their daughters, but primarily Sophia, according to Huffman. Mr. Singer told me that her test scores were too low, and if her math SAT scores didn't rise dramatically, none of the colleges she was interested would even consider her audition. She goes on to say, I honestly didn't and don't care about my daughter going to a prestigious college. I just wanted to give her a shot at being considered for a program where her acting talent would be the deciding factor. This sounds hollow now, but in my mind, I knew that her success or failure in theater or film wouldn't depend on her math skills. See? I didn't want my daughter to be prevented from getting a shot at auditioning and doing what she loves just because she can't do math. No way. 
There, you can't tell me that somebody who like Felicity Huffman and William H Macy are concerned that their child will not get a fair shake in show business with his many with his many children of famous people that we have to deal with in the history of Hollywood. <laughs> That's such a good point. It's like, like I don't know. I don't, I don't know if Sofia Coppola will ever get a fair shot at auditioning for The Godfather Part Three. Yeah, I mean, there's that Steve Martin quote, right? Uh, be so good that you can't be ignored. These kids are so good, their parents can't be ignored. I mean, we need to be born into more nepotism. That's what we're missing from our lives. I mean, mind you, I know it's a meritocracy. Whatever. Stop complaining, Cena. Maybe if you were funnier, maybe if you were more talented. But let me tell you, if I was just born into it, I wouldn't have to be funnier. I wouldn't have to be smarter. I could just get gigs whatever I wanted because I just ring a ding, ding, mommy and dad. Not getting auditions because another member of the Wayans family has gotten it already, you know. Yeah, and now they're looking at our social media following. If we don't have enough followers, why would they cast you in this? Why would they even provide this opportunity for you? Why would they let you in this club if you don't have enough followers? <laughs> Next season, Justin and I are going to be changing our last names to Wayans and Coppola. So I think that would be... <laughs> yeah. Man. It should help. I'll do it. I don't give a fuck. Who's the, who's the other one? The, the Arquettes. There's like four oh, of right. them. Yeah, the Baldwins? Uh, Are you the kidding Baldwins? me? There's yeah. 200 Baldwins running around. You know, I, I I, mean, I kind of feel bad for her, but most colleges and universities actually don't require standardized test scores. I mean, it's not bad if you include them, of course, but it's not the black mark that she's making it out to be. Uh, there's some stats here. The number may have been slightly lower in 2017, but today... 76% of schools, including places like Harvard and Juilliard, don't require standardized test results as part of the application process. Ah, but don't worry. Rick Singer is here. He's got a solution to all of your worries. So luckily, Sophia had an ADHD diagnosis at eight. And more recently, she had a clinician's assessment that affirmed that diagnosis. So Huffman was able to petition the college board to give Sophia some extra time on the SAT, right? So I think this is one of those situations where you don't really expect someone to lie about something like this because it affects your life so much. So once they approved her for the extra time, she was able to have the flexibility to take the test wherever she wanted. Okay, so get this. A guidance counselor actually said, hey, I'll proctor Sophia's extended time SAT. No worries. She's such a nice kid. Happy to do it. Huffman forwards the email to Singer and says, quote, ruh Let me spell it for you. R-U-H-R-O. Huh. Little problematic. <laughs> Huffman was able to get out of it and get Sophia to sign up and take the test in West Hollywood with everyone's favorite proctor, Mark Rydell. Sophia, of course, she actually didn't know anything about her parents' scheme. Now, some of you would be like, oh, that's suspect. But it, all the evidence that we've seen points to the fact that she just didn't know. And, of course, she got very excited a few months later when she scored 400 points better. I mean, who wouldn't? And her parents, obviously very satisfied, that's when they ended up sending the $15,000 in February of 2018 to Key Worldwide Foundation. Now, $15,000 isn't a lot of money, but it's enough to cheat, and it's enough to get your daughter the 400 extra points, and enough to maybe put you over the edge just to edge out someone who didn't have $15,000 to drop on Mark Rydell cheating for you. Justin, what, 
What are some of the things you could buy for $15,000? For $15,000, Cena, you're able to purchase a 2014 Acura with fully loaded features. That's right, a 2014 Acura. <laughs> uh, what else could you get for $15,000? You could get a vacant lot in Atlantic City, New Jersey <laughs> for $15,000. $1,500 in $1 bills, you can have an incredible night at one of Atlanta's finest adult entertainment establishments <laughs> for $15,000. So Key Worldwide then sent them a letter thanking them for their donation. It said that the money would, quote, allow us to move forward with our plans to provide educational and self-enrichment programs to disadvantaged youth. Wealthy kids with ADHD are definitely disadvantaged, but not the ones we're talking about here. Let's be honest. Yeah, I like this is like the same like language as like Dr. Umar all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> That following school year, Hoffman and Macy engaged Singer to plan the same scheme for their younger daughter, which, for the record, William H. Macy was entirely a part of. From the wiretaps, we have a clip here. This is from Rick Singer. So again, the last time we did this, just so I can make sure the financial part is all squared away, then we'll uh, we'll send you an invoice for fifteen thousand, and we'll uh, and that'll be all taken care of. Are, are we okay with the financial side and the actual operation side of it? And then the spouse says, and this is William H Macy. Cool. That's all you need. That's all you should need to get pinched for something like this. <laughs> Ultimately, they aborted the operation for their second daughter. Huffman would later say, the decision to cheat for her first daughter haunted me terribly. I knew it was not right. I finally came to my senses and told Mr. Singer to stop the process for Georgia. This left turn with their younger daughter, paired with a quick acknowledgement of guilt from Huffman, led the court to consider Huffman's conduct less egregious than the other parents. Okay, that kind of makes sense. You know, they also just kind of love the older daughter more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, le the letter of support from Ava Longoria may have also helped. I mean, God, Jesus. Uh, or maybe yeah. the letter of support for that lovingly pointed out that Huffman's brain was a bit like Swiss cheese. Still very unclear why Macy wasn't held accountable. Maybe the prosecutors were big shameless fans. I don't know. Or maybe it's just the good old-fashioned patriarchy. But as a CUNY professor that isn't Justin theorized on Twitter... You do kind of get the impression that what saved Macy from indictment today was the gendered character of household domestic labor. The wife sets up the playdates, the parent-teacher conferences, the SAT cheating, the wife handles the emails, so the wife gets indicted. Yeah, and then maybe also the judge felt very sorry for William H. Macy uh, because he still sees him as the cuck from Movie Nights. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So while Huffman was claiming to fully take responsibility for her actions, Huffman's lawyers still tried to make the argument that she was being unfairly persecuted for, wait for it, being rich. Oh, so, we must protect the rich. Protect the rich. The, the, the underprivileged rich. They are poor rich. They are not rich rich. There's not richy rich or wealthy rich or ultra rich. They are just rich. <laughs> I count 27 references to Miss Huffman's wealth and fame, they said. It can't be the case that Miss Huffman should be treated more harshly because of her financial circumstances. 
Unlike what the government said, that is not fair. That probably didn't do her much good before sentencing the judge in this case, Judge Talwani, remarked that all the ways <laughs> she got a black <laughs> she got a black judge. Judge Talwani said, judge. "Bitch, are you for real?" In her <laughs> closing remarks. <laughs> <laughs> Judge Talwani remarked all the ways the wealthy already had a leg up. She said, quote, a person in a position of wealth and the position you are in is in a much easier position in this meritocracy. And acknowledged that there was an understandable sense of outrage that the same demographic would then cheat for more advantages. Huffman was sentenced to two weeks in jail, a $30,000 fine, one year of supervised release, and 250 hours of community service, which means that is going to be a lot of fundraiser parties she's going to throw. And uh, I just looked at now, it. Judge Talwani is not black, actually. It's uh, <laughs> actually, I believe, Indian American, I believe. But, but still, but not, it's not white. It's somebody that's not going to have sympathy for like a rich white person, though. Ah, uh, another feather in the cap of our research-based podcast. Now, another interesting part of this case, which distinguishes it from Lori Laughlin's case, which we'll talk about in a minute here, is that Sophia, Huffman's daughter, didn't know. She was fully lied to. When my daughter looked at me and asked with tears streaming down her face, why didn't you believe in me? Why didn't you think I could do it on my own? I had no adequate answer for her. I could only say, I am sorry, I was frightened, and I was stupid. Sophia is now studying at Carnegie Mellon and was recently cast in her first on-screen role in Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone. You are in all of this pain because you won't admit that you are different. Man, the suffering and, and, and struggle that Sophia has had to go through in her career oh, at Carnegie Mellon, one of the top acting conservatories in the country. Oh, this this poor thing. Yeah, and she struggled with her first role with uh, perhaps the hottest producer director in Hollywood <laughs> for like the last like six years. A guy who's got everything greenlit since Get Out. <laughs> Yo, Sophia wasn't going up to her friends and be like, y'all want to be in my web series? <laughs> <laughs> William H. Macy's career also seems to be unscathed considering I just saw him on the long way Hulu series, The Dropout, featuring Amanda Seyfried portraying another famous fraudster, Elizabeth Holmes. We're going to take a break now uh, for our amazing sponsors. But when we come back, we're going to talk about the more famous actors with a distinctly different and objectively more infuriating admission story. All right, Justin, now we're going to turn our reproachful gaze onto more famous people, Massimo Giannulli and Lori Laughlin. Before we get into it, were you familiar with either of these two before we started researching for this series? Uh, not really. Like, I've seen Lori Laughlin's face, but I'm not like a fan, you know. Yeah, I mean, besides Full House, I mean, I really had no idea. And Massimo, he's the fashion guy. He's the guy that did Massimo, Massimo jeans back in the no. early 90s. Is that right? No. Yeah, yeah. That's him, oh, Massimo? Okay. 
Massimo. Stussy? <laughs> no fear? <laughs> Big That's dogs? incredible. Was that Massimo? <laughs> That's the real Massimo? That is the Massimo. Oh, I was just guessing. I was just trying to make a joke. That's the real guy. Yeah, that's good. Look at you. That's how smart you are, man. Wow. I still know how to draw the Stussy symbol. Uh, Lori, Lori Laughlin starred in the popular sitcom Full House, of course, from 1987 to 1995. Uh, we actually have a clip from Full House that I think you'll find quite prescient. It features Lori's character, Aunt Becky, and her on-screen husband, Jesse, confessing to having lied on her twin son's daycare application. Hazel, um, can we fire up this uh, full house clip, please? Look, Mrs. Jacobs, we have to be honest. Well, I have to be honest. We may have, well, he may have <laughs> embellished, lied a bit on our application. Honest. She's been on this honesty kick all week. <laughs> well, we had a feeling you might have embellished. Not too many two-year-olds are proficient on the bassoon. <laughs> the bassoon? Oh, too short for the cello. <laughs> it only shows you want what's best for your boys. That's like, that's like, that's like Cosby. That's like, you know, yeah. <laughs> breadcrumbs, you know. This is a special barbecue sauce. This is my special recipe. <laughs> Spanish flyer. You put it in a woman's drink and then you... <laughs> Obviously, this scene in Full House didn't act as a cautionary tale for Lori, but before we get into that, a little backstory on her and her, this time, also charged husband, Massimo Giannulli. While known for Full House, Lori's career actually started a dozen years prior when she was just 11 living in Long Island when her mom took her to a modeling casting call in Manhattan. That obviously went well. By the time she was 15, she was starring in the edge of night. Frankly, if you did break up, I'd be happy. You know how I feel about you, Jody. Yeah, you've made it clear a number of times. Well, that's one thing I haven't tried to hide. Well, I hope that has nothing to do with what's motivated you about Eden. No. I planned some kind of demonstration at the Tricentennial long before I met you. Then when I found you here in Monticello, I had to do some quick maneuvering to make things happen. You know, Chad, the more I think about it, the more it really bothers me that I was being manipulated all those months. I'm sorry. I wouldn't have done it if it didn't mean so much to me, to my country. I really feel terrible about keeping you in the dark for so long. Excuse me. Hello? That's like public access level acting. Yeah, right? That's some shit right there. According to her, her family was very supportive. Her dad, Joseph Roy, worked as a foreman for the New York Telephone Company and would take Lori into the city with him when he went to work. And after he got off his shift and she finished with taping, he would take her to other auditions or castings before heading back to Long Island where Laughlin would receive tutoring for her schoolwork. That's a 12-hour day. Yeah. This is incredible. I mean, you know, was a, I don't know whether there's that, is that fond memories or is it like I'm clocking in with my dad around the New York City yeah. metropolitan area? And, you know, if that's your reality as a kid, that's your reality. That's when you find joy. And that's what, you, you know, the, the kid just doesn't really know any better. Right. I mean, her parents were arguably compromising and, and working it out with her high school so that she could miss class. Right. Yeah. Uh, despite maintaining a B average in school, Lori was voted most likely to succeed upon graduation, which, you know, not wrong. And while it didn't involve college, Lori had ambition for her future. In an interview with the New York Times when she was 17, she said, quote, she would like to portray a character whose life was totally different than hers, such as a handicapped person, an alcoholic, 
or a murderer. Well, let me tell you something, Lori. That's not all it's cracked up to be. <laughs> From personal experience, let me tell you. And if you've seen Tropic Thunder, you don't go full handicapped. You really can't. You got to no. just light, light, just, gotta, just a touch. You can't go, you can't go, go full on there. Like the trailer <laughs> of Radio starring Cuba Gooding Jr. is shocking. <laughs> it is shocking. <laughs> As far as I can tell, however, she mostly stayed in the soap opera lane. She's also done a ton of Hallmark movies. Massimo Giannulli was born in 1963 in Encino, California, just down the street from me. The son of Gene, an architect, and Nancy, a homemaker. He also did not attend college. In fact, according to his daughter, he tricked his dad into giving him tuition money and then started his own fashion line. Quote, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, sorry, Dad, but her father was like never enrolled in college. He faked his way through it. Yeah, so then he started his whole business with tuition money that his parents thought was going to college. Let me just say, these two people bribed to get their kid into college, yet both of them are millionaires because they didn't go to college. Not because they didn't go to college, but they didn't need to go to college to be successful. I mean, what? What the fuck? His casual fashion brand did well, was started as a garage operation known for beachwear, became a $72 million annual enterprise in the early 90s. Giannulli was number 343 on the Forbes 400 Richest People in America list in 1996. Justin, can you Google 90s Massimo brand for me and describe it? You know it. Uh, I knew it very well because it was actually one of the most popular brands when I was uh, living in Dallas, Texas. As as a youth, you know, it's like Massimo, Stussy, No Fear, you know, that's the kind of yeah. stuff. Big dogs, that's the kind of stuff that you know kids were wearing uh, back then. So, you know, I know it. it they had this weird. What did it look arc. like? It was expensive back then. It was a lot of cursive. I remember a lot of cursive. Mm. Like it was Massimo, but in cursive. You know. Yeah. And then. Um, and then I remember it had this weird like arc, right, where it was almost like kind of high fashion. You know, like remember how when Doc Martens came out, they were expensive too, and then like they were kind of in Pacific Sunwear. And now I'm pretty sure I, we could we could probably purchase the Massimo brand if we <laughs> if we if we just get our Twitter followers up. Yeah, you know, he did hit his big seg professionally shortly after being on the Forbes list. Uh, he tried to break into high fashion. Stock prices plunged from 50 to $3 in 97. The following year, Giannulli stepped down as CEO, instead dubbing himself uh, the visionary. It was also during this period when he married Lori Laughlin. Good job marrying up, buddy. Uh, things began to look up for the brand in 2001 when Giannulli began selling Massimo at affordable prices now, exclusively at Target. Yeah. Which has since distanced itself from Massimo in the wake of the scandal. That's messed up when Target disavows you. Never a good sign. Target is like, hey, yeah, we have standards over here. Ooh. Ooh. I think it's worth putting out there that uh, both Laughlin and Giannulli found workarounds as it relates to school. Lori had been granted exceptions throughout high school that allowed her to maintain a film schedule, while Giannulli had used the pretense of going to college as a way to extract wealth from his parents. This could have contributed to how they later approached their own daughter schooling. Massimo and Lori had two daughters together, Isabella Rose and Olivia Jade. What 
were they thinking on those names? I don't know. Yeah, celebrities with these three names. They're not as bad as Nick Cannon names for his kids. Like Nick Cannon names his kids is like Ebony Freedom <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> these sound like smoothies or like ice cream flavors. <laughs> um now, let's focus on the younger daughter, Olivia Jade's story here, because the scheme in her case is better uh, better, and, frankly, more documented. But both daughters got into USC because of Singer's side door. So this is different from Felicity Huffman's case in a few different ways. For starters, because rather than changing test scores, they changed Isabella's and Olivia Jade's entire student profile. In reality, Olivia Jade seemed entirely uninterested in academics or sports. Her main extracurricular was her popular YouTube channel. Hey guys, welcome back to my channel. Today I am filming a September favorites. Happy October. I can't believe all September is already gone. Uh, it's crazy. I found some great products, some of which I've been loving for forever ago or since forever ago. I just haven't shared them with you. It's my choker. I have one on right now. I have another one. This one has actually like a little... All right, all right. Just, I uh, fucking stop. Oh my god, Jesus! I think I my, my ear is bleeding. Oh, I can't learn that much. Lord. I can't learn that much that fast. Jesus. My head started hurting. I think someone waterboard me. Um, many videos include her saying things like, "My favorite subject is free period because I don't have to do anything." Oh god, and lamenting having to go to school at all. I mean, she sounds like a typical teenager. Uh, with incredibly wealthy parents. And yet... These apple-bottom jeans to... have apples on the bottom. <laughs> she still wanted to go to college, uh, specifically USC, as her sister had done. So when it came time for her to start applying to schools, though, she wrote essays about becoming a brand ambassador at Sephora and managing a public profile on her YouTube channel. That, and she sat on an urn, uh, which is like a rowing machine, while her parents took photos to send to Rick Singer so he could pitch her to USC as a rowing recruit, not as a YouTube uh, channel person, not as a, a, a brand ambassador for Sephora, but as a rowing recruit. The same thing he had done with their older sister. Cena, me and you have got to take pictures in like short shorts and jerseys. <laughs> With like basketballs and just send them to like Duke University's like recruiting <laughs> yeah. department. It's like you, you need these two guys, <laughs> these two, these two forty year olds. <laughs> Justin, can you imagine what that family bonding time looked like? Isabella standing over Olivia, giving her tips on how to pose. It's just like, okay, no, 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 you gotta like arch your back. No, 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 don't arch your back. Get those, straighten those legs out. The parents scrolling through the photos on the phone, adjusting the lighting. Is the how? This is so gross. How are they even rationalizing this? You think? I don't know, man. I actually have kind of questions about Lori Laughlin's childhood because uh, I think it gives you a sense of how she could have normalized a few of these things when you have a parent that's kind of like. You know, I, there's there's a fine line between taking an interest in your child's development and then like really putting a lot of pressure on them to where you get kind of the Michael Jackson syndrome. You know, it's like all those Jackson kids are all messed up, you know. Yeah. But not everyone bought the crew cover, though. At Marymount High School, where the Giannullis went, the Kardashians and Mia Farrow and other rich, famous people as well. The graduating class was just 100 students. So their college counselor, Philip P.J. Patrone, 
have the bandwidth to be involved with each student's path to college. And he was really surprised when on a call with USC admissions, <laughs> the rep inquired about two student athletes. Huh. You say? Patron told the rep that he very much doubted that either Giannulli daughter was a rower. They <laughs> make him barely hold a pencil, he said. No, I made that up. He goes, yeah, I was a little suspicious at rowing, a sport that requires tremendous upper body strength. Uh, <laughs> it looks like the woman has uh, maybe four inch biceps in this photo. Yeah, Ol- Olivia Jade had to get the smaller iPad because she couldn't lift it. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This got back to Laughlin and Giannulli, who reached out to Singer asking how to manage, quote, our little friend at Marymount. And lo and behold, Patron's skepticism did nothing to prevent both daughters' acceptance to USC. Now, in this case, it's very obvious that the family is well aware of the web of lives going into these college applications. They're all in the scam boat here, people. Singer told the couple that it was necessary to get their daughters into USC with these tactics. According to Laughlin and Giannulli, he also said that they would be financially supporting the rowing team. They'll, oh, that no spots will be taken from the other students, the, the hard-working rowers that actually wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning and get on a boat and row and, do, and say the word erg without you know having to look it up online. And that also that this was normal for applying to a college to literally make up a sports profile. Uh, At least this is what Laughlin and Giannulli said uh, Singer had told them when they pled their defense before eventually pleading guilty in their court case. In reality, the spot would have gone to another applicant and the person most enriched was the USC athletic director, Donna Hennel. And we've talked about her. She received $50,000 to push through the girls as rowing savants. And Sigur himself received $450,000 through Key Worldwide Foundation. So really, puts the Huffmans to shame as far as what they spent. Not, not to like give the Huffman and Macy duo a pass here, but damn. Laughlin and Giannulli really went ham on this. Ultimately, Lori received two months in jail. $150,000 fine, and 150 hours of community service, while Giannulli received five months in jail, $250,000 fine, and 250 hours of community service. And he also had to wear Massimo in prison as part of his punishment. <laughs> yeah, the old ones off the clearance rack, and they were too baggy for him. That said, Bella just filmed a Hallmark movie with her mom, who is now out of prison in Canada, and Olivia Jade made it to the quarterfinals of Dancing with the Stars, where she introduced herself as being known for being an influencer. It's so great. I love I love all these like non-productive post-capitalism job titles. <laughs> exactly. You know, she's got a podcast too. It's not on the last podcast network. It's not part of the Sirius XM family, so we don't really care about it. Olivia Jade hasn't escaped public criticism though. She was probably the most roasted kid involved in the college admissions scandal, probably because on top of being the picture of privilege, once at USC, she vlogged saying, quote, I've been to one class and I already want to die. Justin, how culpable do you think 
Olivia Jade is in all of this? Uh, it's hard to say. You kind of want to give her a break because her parents kind of pushed her into this and organized it. But she's also old enough to know not to receive stolen goods at the same time, right? If society's done enough of just a basic job of rules, then you know what you should know what you're doing is wrong at that point. And I would I would definitely have the self awareness too if my parents paid me in to not do that video log. That that's where it's like that that's where you deserve the roasting. If you're <laughs> complaining about the college that your parents bribed officials to get you into, it's like then you then then you should be able to roast that person. And we we we've done this a little bit. We talked about this. I mean, I I love how Gammy went in on her on Red Table Talk. It's it's bothersome to me on so many levels. Her being here is the epitome of white privilege to me. It's not our responsibility to raise her consciousness. There's gonna be mm-hmm. lots of people that agree with you. Gamma. 100%. I also feel like this is a practice of compassion. To me, this young girl is reaping the repercussions of some actions of her parents did all of this and we're so ignorant and i feel like a huge part of having privilege is not knowing you have privilege right and so when it was happening it didn't feel wrong it didn't feel like that's not fair a lot of people don't have that i was in my own little bubble right focusing about my comfortable world right i never had to look outside of that bubble right but i also felt very misunderstood the picture that has been painted of me i feel like is not who i am i'm not this bratty girl that doesn't want to change anything also, I understand why people are angry and I understand why people say hurtful things. And I would, too, if I wasn't in my boat. And I think I had to go through the backlash and the stuff because when you read it, you realize that there's like some truth in it. We actually talked about Red Table Talk with uh, Melissa Korn and Jennifer Levitt. Uh, and so we'll let's hear a little bit from that conversation as well. It was kind of fun. Let's talk about Olivia Jade real quick on the Red Table Talk show. We all watched it. Jada Pickensmith, Jada's mom, not happy that this little white girl is on the show talking and all the privilege that she's bringing. I took away from that that I kind of felt bad for the kid. I, I took it away. I was like, man, that is rough. This girl did not know what was happening. And she had like, you know, availed herself to a life in social media, which means something like this is going to destroy everything. Melissa, what what was your your takeaway on all this? I appreciate that she went on, that she talked about what happened or talked about some portion of what happened (laughs) because she didn't have to. Yeah, she also chose an audience there that was going to be a little bit more sympathetic. I think there was kind of an understanding of what they would or wouldn't ask her about, you know, when when she went on. There were a lot of areas that they just didn't go into at all. The my biggest takeaway from it was her acknowledgement that she was I think the phrase was the poster child for privilege. She was very aware that she had absolutely everything and then still her family wanted more. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's important that she kind of got to that point. And she did shut down her social media for a while during this. And after this, she's now back up. Uh, Her Instagram is very active. She's doing videos and stuff again. So. It definitely her career there took a hit, but it seems to have recovered to some extent. I wouldn't be shocked if she gets makeup lines and all that stuff again. I liked hearing Jada's mom. I really liked hearing Jada's mom on that. <laughs> she was just having none of it. Yeah, I thought I agree. Like I, I thought I thought, you know, you, you could feel sorry for it. I mean, with a lot, you know, with a lot of these these kids, even the ones who were were somehow aware of it. I mean, the, the bottom line, you know, you're like. 17 or 16. And I, it, the parents were the main players and you kind of feel bad, right? They, they weren't the ones driving the, 
the train here. Um, so I did feel a little bad for her. I agree with Melissa, though, there, that there were clearly things they must have agreed not to ask. Like, kind of. So some of the families, their big defense has been uh, in the sports scandal that they were giving donations and something went awry. And it's not that different from when lots of people do. But they, they don't really get into the sports fraud aspect of it. So if you noticed on that show, there wasn't much about the sports fraud. There was, it just wasn't really a thing. And she kind of repeated the phrase, like my parents thought, you know, Rick Singer told them everybody was doing this and they thought that. And so there, they do seem to sometimes want to want it. They don't want to talk about that other, other part of it, which is sort of harder for people to accept. So maybe, you know, she's probably been coached about what she could and couldn't say and what they could ask. But, but obviously it was, you know, she looked hard for her and I did feel kind of bad for her. And I think, I think most people with these parents, like, you know, people want to see, give people a second chance. They want to see people go on and, and have a good life once they've admitted what they've done. We love a redemption story. Yeah, we I think so. Story. I think people do. I think people are pretty, are pretty forgiving. And I will say like the, the past year and a half has been so weird with such much weirder news out there. I did tell one parent who I've stayed in touch with, I said, on a good note, your story is no longer probably even in the top 100 weirdest. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like a global Justin. pandemic to, you know, wipe you from the headlines. Yeah. Justin, what did you think? Uh, I liked it. I thought the whole video was an amazing exercise in irony of having a table <laughs> full of black millionaires that are only there because of nepotism in one way or another chastise uh, a white person <laughs> that is also a millionaire <laughs> because they're there for, because of nepotism. I thought it was really great. So we're going to leave it there, but I don't want this to stop. I want you to join the Discord. I want you to text us. I want you to add us on Twitter and Instagram, on social media, everywhere you go, because I want to know what you guys think about this Red Table Talk episode. What do you think about Olivia Jade being on here at Scene Out, at Justin Williams Comedy, at Fraudsters LPN, 412-285-1255, link in bio to get our Discord. As always, Fraudsters is a production of Zero Cool Media and the Last Podcast Network. Hazel Bryan produced and wrote a ton on this episode, so thank you so much. Ian Brannon edited it. Our associate producer is Anna Laranaga. Emily Fusco is our researcher. Our legal intern is Greg Fingerhut. Our music is by Simon Tafik. And some of the music in this episode was composed by Chris Olson. <laughs>